Hello, and welcome back to Weekly Political Pep Talks, where we discuss major political headlines and issues within the United States. Good to be back for another episode. I'm Vishal. And I'm Leo. I want to be a billionaire, so freaking bad, by all of the things I never had. Before we reveal last week's quote of the week, we'd like to thank all of our listeners. From the U.S. to Singapore to Brazil, you all have been so supportive to us, and we really appreciate that. Today, we'll reveal last episode's quote of the week, as always, then once again move on to our headlines, then get into our main topic for the episode, which will be monopolization and antitrust policies. Finally, like always, we'll end with a quote of the week that relates in some shape or form to monopolies and antitrust policies. All right, well, it looks like it's once again time to reveal last episode's quote of the week. Vishal, would you repeat the quote for our listeners? I would love to, Leo. Last week's quote is, quote, maybe we should legalize weed. We certainly are moving that way as far as marijuana is concerned. I respect the will of the people. Leo, will you reveal who said it? I sure will. The person who said that quote is, drumroll please, the late Arizona senator and 2008 presidential nominee, John McCain. Shout out to Tejas Juare for answering correctly. Go follow him on Instagram at Tejas.Juare. Great job and thank you so much for getting involved with the podcast. Now, without further ado, let's get into some headlines. The first headline that I'm going to introduce comes from Reuters, and the headline says, Western wildfire smoke causes cross-country air pollution. So with the start of North American wildfire season, which takes place in late summer and fall, major fires have begun to take form in the American and Canadian West. Anyways, the excessive smoke from these many fires have begun to drift across the United States, reaching major cities on the East Coast, such as New York City. In fact, where Vishal and I live in Connecticut, we were able to see the effects of the smoke clouds. From where I live, at least, I saw a sort of haze over the sky that looked like clouds but was actually smoke, and the sun appeared a kind of blood orange instead of its usual yellow. Aside from a different appearance, there have also been many health detriments to the smoke cloud that is gathered around the East Coast. For one, the air quality index for Manhattan reached 170. Leo, if you don't mind me interrupting, would you mind explaining the number and how harmful an AQI of 170 truly is? Of course. AQI measures the number and density of particles present in the air, and an AQI of around 170 is a level nine times higher than the World Health Organization's recommendations. Philadelphia, for example, hit 172. Boston and Hartford both reached over 150. Now, let's discuss the source of these wildfires, or the reason that they are burning in the first place, and it is indeed pretty obvious. Global climate change has had a drastic effect on the climates of the world, but more specifically, it has increased extreme weather events globally. This is because climate change has caused the heating of the ocean temperatures in some places, a phenomenon known as El Nino, which in turn causes the warming of the atmosphere. This causes more storms to occur, and the lightning from these storms is often the cause of these wildfires. Extreme weather events like hurricanes, monsoons, tornadoes, and wildfires have become not only more common in recent decades, but they have also become more severe and damaging. In this way, wildfires now are having two main consequences, the direct consequences of burning the areas where they are, as well as the indirect consequences of their smoke drifting across the country and causing more air pollution. So now why don't we get into our opinions on this topic? So is it okay if I start, Michelle? Yeah, take it away, Leo. All right. I think, quite obviously, that these wildfires are and have been detrimental to the environment, both on a local and national scale. 
in order to stop this and to take a step towards fighting climate change as a whole, I believe we have to tackle this in two forms. First, at the source, which is climate change itself. I think we have to invest in green jobs, in green energy sources, and pass legislation such as the Green New Deal. Second, we have to tackle this in regards to the fires themselves. We need to invest in public services like firefighters and allow them the resources they need to fight fires effectively. Overall, however, I believe it is more important to invest in stopping fires at the source and tackling climate change at its root, as this will obviously stop the wildfires from occurring and stop smoke clouds from reaching other cities. Vishal, why don't you share your opinions? Sure. To start off, climate change is obviously a very important topic that must be dealt with in our country. And as a matter of fact, it should be dealt with across the entire globe. And I'll formulate my opinion from the facts you have just reported. I think in order to stop wildfires, we have to invest more into green energy. So I'm with you on that. However, the switch to green energy is a slow and steady process, which is one of the reasons why I disagree with your opinion on passing the Green New Deal. I think the resolution expresses drastic changes at a drastic cost. And although it may provide a solution to climate change, it could hurt a lot of businesses as they aren't prepared for the sudden change. So I think our government should draft a new bill that combats climate change to prevent these wildfires and other catastrophic natural disasters, but also takes into consideration the businesses that help our economy thrive. So by doing this, I think that we can prevent these wildfires and other natural disasters that are caused by human interaction with the environment. But I also think if we redraft our bill, we could potentially save a bunch of businesses from being hurt. So this is my opinion on this topic. All right. I think those are some very valid thoughts, Vishal. So now why don't you move on to your headline? Sure. The next headline I would like to introduce comes from CNN, and it is titled, Brady Returns to the White House to Celebrate Buck's Recent Super Bowl Win. On February 7th, 2021, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had given the sports franchise its first Super Bowl win in the past 18 years. This week, the coach Bruce Arians and the rest of the team met the current president, Joe Biden, where Brady, along with fellow teammates, cracked some jokes about the recent presidential election results. He was found saying, not a lot of people think that we could have won. And in fact, I think about 40% of the people still don't think we won. The team accepting Biden's invitation to the White House is so significant because it's been a long time since teams have taken up a president's offer to come and visit the White House. As a matter of fact, in 2019, when the New England Patriots were crowned Super Bowl champions, Tom Brady and the rest of the team declined former President Donald Trump's invitation to the White House. So are teams rejecting a White House invitation a common occurrence? Well, yes, Leo. It started to become more of a trend during the Trump presidency, where teams would decline a White House invitation from the former president, or the White House would flat out not invite the team because the sports franchise players had openly criticized the president. How many teams weren't invited or simply rejected a White House invitation during the Trump presidency? Well, it's hard to say. However, during the Trump term, 20 major sporting teams were crowned. This includes stuff like the NBA, WNBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL. From these 20 teams, 10 of them either refused the White House invitation or were simply not invited. Now, the real reason I wanted to bring this headline into this week's episode is because I want to hear your opinion, Leo, on the teams that rejected an invitation to the White House. So, Leo, do you think a team or any person should reject an invitation to the White House due to a difference in political ideologies? Well, in my opinion, I think that athletes have every right to refuse a trip to the White House when offered. I strongly do not support the idea that athletes should just shut up and play. And I think that if they want to use their platform to make a political statement, then that is their right. 
For example, I think it was a great use of the platform when professional basketball players like LeBron James raised awareness to police brutality and the murder of Breonna Taylor and other victims of police violence and racism. Specifically in the case of the White House, I think that quite simply, it should be the player's choice. I'm sure all players understand the significance of the White House, but they should be allowed to make their own decision, as well as to make a statement against an individual or president who they do not support. All right, I'll go ahead and give my opinion. So, Leo, I understand that an individual or a group of people obviously have the choice to decline an invitation to the White House, and I'm not arguing against that. I mean, everybody should be able to make their own decisions on whether they want to do something. However, I do not agree on the means to why certain groups or individuals declined an invitation to the White House during the Trump presidency, which were obviously, if we look back at them, political reasons. I think it is a privilege to be invited to the White House, and I think every player should go unless they have some personal issues preventing them. After all, important historic events happened in that place, which shaped the America we live in today. So if I were in those athletes' shoes, the ones that declined the invitation, I would put politics aside and enjoy a unique experience that may only come once in a lifetime. After all, winning a major championship is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I understand that, and I think those are some really good opinions. Now let's move on to our main topic for the episode, which will be monopolization and antitrust policies. So, as always, let's begin with some definitions. For the purposes of our discussion, we'll define monopolization as the act of becoming a monopoly or assuming exclusive possession or control over an industry. So let me just dumb this down a little bit. This is when one company or corporation has complete control over its industry and no other companies are able to compete with it. We'll also define antitrust policies as a collection of federal and state laws that regulate organization and conduct of corporations that are generally intended to promote competition. So in other words, these policies were made to prevent a single company from having a monopoly in the industry that they're in. So Leo, could you provide an example of a historical company that had a monopoly on what they sold and were later on broken up? I sure can, Vishal. So the first company that comes to mind is John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company. Now, for all of our listeners who don't know, the Standard Oil Company was established in 1870 by John D. Rockefeller, the namesake of the New York City Rockefeller Center. Standard Oil grew to have a monopoly over the oil industry during the late 1800s and early 1900s, which is a period of time known as the First Gilded Age. At this point, Standard Oil controlled 88% of the refined oil flows in the United States. Standard Oil also had power internationally, as it sold kerosene in China and took advantage of oil reserves in the Middle East. In 1911, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the case Standard Oil Company of New Jersey versus United States that Standard Oil had to be broken up into 34 companies. Currently, however, the successors of Standard Oil have merged and become monopolies once again. These successors include Chevron, ExxonMobil, BP, and Marathon. We'll talk more about the ways to prevent monopolies from reforming later on in this episode. So let's discuss some more history regarding antitrust lawsuits. In 1890, the Sherman Antitrust Act, which laid the foundation for current antitrust legislation, was passed. Antitrust laws were strongly enforced during the Gilded Age, but were used sparingly in the second half of the 20th century. Within the past few years, however, there has been a new push to start antitrust lawsuits against current monopolies, such as tech giants, and the start of a second Gilded Age has begun. This push has come mostly from progressives in Congress like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but has also had support from some Republicans. 
The common theme and goal here is to allow for more competition in each industry instead of letting a handful of big corporations have near total control. So at this point, you viewers are probably wondering, why are monopolies and antitrust policies so significant in our country? To answer that question, let's look at current companies that have a monopoly over their industries. And I think a great example are the tech giants. Now, Vishal, if you don't mind, which companies are referred to as tech giants? Well, the term tech giants applies to these five companies, Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. Essentially, these five companies have monopolized the tech industry in a way that no other companies have. Due to the smaller tech businesses not being able to compete with these companies, the technology industry has not received any competition aside from the five tech giants. So why were these smaller tech businesses unable to thrive, Vishal? Well, Leo, it's mainly because of how much money these tech giants have collected over a period of their dominance. For example, Apple gains annual profits of about $64 billion, and that huge number is nearly impossible for smaller businesses to compete with. And due to this, these small tech businesses simply don't have the money to buy or use all the resources which Apple can use. So what would happen if these companies kept their monopolies in their industries? I'll tell you what will happen. These tech companies would hold their position as a top producer, and it would drive out all of the small businesses that are competing with them. Now let's look at how this affects the people. Since these companies would be the only thing that sells a certain product, the consumers would have no choice in which company they would want to buy a certain product from. Simply put, if Apple continues its monopoly on the tech industry and kills off all the small phone and computer businesses, consumers would have no choice but to buy products from Apple. As a result, Apple could take advantage of this opportunity and shoot up their prices by a huge amount. And although this idea may seem quite a bit cynical, forcing your customers to pay for a certain product would be perfectly legal if there were no antitrust laws in our country. These laws are essentially what are stopping these tech giants from growing even more. Right, and we can see how currently more steps are being taken to break up these monopolies, specifically the tech giants. Exactly. So another great example of companies that have monopolies over an industry are the media giants. Leo, which five companies comprise the media giants? So these companies are Comcast, Disney, AT&T, National Amusements, and News Corp. The media giants own nearly all news shows, book publications, and streaming services in the United States. For example, News Corp owns all of Fox, as well as the Wall Street Journal. Disney owns ABC, Marvel, and most of Hulu. AT&T owns CNN, HBO, and Warner Brothers. This is a major problem because now these companies can produce content that only aligns with their own views, and they're allowed to limit other perspectives because there is little to no competition. This means that viewers are only consuming one biased point of view and have very few alternatives. Some see this as a form of mass propaganda. In any case, it needs to be changed. So now let's get into our opinions on this topic. Vishal, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'll start off by saying that monopolies with no regulation have way too much power. So I'll start off by saying that monopolies with no regulation have way too much power. Going back to that example with Apple and how they could simply raise their prices due to them being the only company that sells a certain product. Essentially, by giving so much power to these monopolies, they can control where people buy their products from. And this, in my opinion, is the complete opposite of democracy in what our country stands for. 
Additionally, let's look at the media giants. If media giants have a monopoly, they could be feeding the majority of people in our country with certain misinformation and biases. As a result, we could have more of a divide in our country. Now that I have shown you why I think monopolies are detrimental to our country, I'll propose a solution to prevent these companies from being too powerful. We need to ensure that these companies are respecting these antitrust laws and also make sure that they aren't buying each other out so they could create an even stronger corporation. And with these things, I believe we can prevent the monopolization of all industries in our country and provide more healthy competition within our country. So, Leo, what do you think? Well, I think that, like you said, monopolies are detrimental, specifically to consumers, workers and to the economy in and of itself. So monopolies allow companies to jack up prices on consumers, as consumers would have no other companies to buy from. They also allow companies to lower wages on workers, because workers have no other companies to work for. And finally, monopolies hurt the economy as a whole, because they go against the basic principle of a market economy, competition. Competition allows for small businesses to be able to grow, as well as for working families to be able to support themselves. In my mind, monopolies have to be broken up according to antitrust laws, but there must also be another step. I think that there should be laws that prevent companies from merging up to a certain point, because currently there is little stopping the successors of a broken company from reforming, just like the successors of Standard Oil have become Chevron, ExxonMobil, and BP. Monopolies also stifle innovation, because they already have control over the market, so there's no incentive to make something new. To do all of this, and to protect consumers, workers, and to stop the limitation of choice and viewpoints in media, we need to, in my humble opinion, break up monopolies and create laws against excessive merging. Alright, so there you have it, our opinions, and I think this is a rare moment where me and Leo actually agree. Do you want to move on to our next segment? Alright, let's move on. All right, Leo, it looks like now it's the time to move on to our quote of the week. It sure is. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed last episode's quote and had fun guessing that it was the late Arizona Senator John McCain. And I also hope that our listeners are ready for this week's quote. Here it is. Quote, it's time to use the antitrust laws and to break up these conglomerates that have now poisoned our democracy. Unquote. If you have a guess for who said it, don't be afraid to DM us on Instagram at Weekly Political Pep Talks. And that is it for now. Happy listening and stay political. I wanna be a billionaire. So for more exclusive content, be sure to visit weeklypoliticalpeptalks.com. Never had. I wanna be on the cover.